Over the past two weeks, we've been going over this new sermon series of what Jesus really taught about money. Um, and last week and the previous week, Pastor Bill kicked us off, and today I'm going to be closing uh, this series with the third sermon. Um, and for those of you who weren't here last week, and for those of you who were, just to, to tell some of you and to remind others, uh, Pastor Bill put up some statistics of how uh, in the Bible, if we were to go verse by verse and look at what Jesus talked about, that the number of times he talked about money is three to four times as money, many times as he talked about faith and, and of prayer. And I'm sure you guys have heard the statistics before, and we've said it in, in the past many times, and you've heard it a million times, from, at least from us in the pulpit here on Sundays, that Jesus talked about money more than anything. And we've given you different reasons. Um, and this, this morning, I want to start off by giving you another reason, what, or, or what I think is a very important reason as to why it's true that Jesus talked about money more than many other things. And that reason, I believe, is that because it, money has the power to make you okay with being worldly. That money has such a strong, powerful, blinding power that it makes you okay with living by the world standards and not godly standards, biblical standards. So let me give you my argument or my example. So one thing that the church celebrates, prioritizes, prizes is like, um, is transparency in relationships, right? The people of God, the community of believers, we're about accountability, we're about sharing, small groups, sitting on a circle, doing life together. Just recently, our young adults uh, started this thing called Fight Club, where they're just really just like fighting sin together, and, and we talk about how you ought to share and be open and be transparent. Um, on the flip side, the world tells you, Share what you feel like, but you have to be polite in maintaining boundaries and respect of privacy. Now, let's say that I were to go to any one of you and, you know, you know, pluck you out and make you uncomfortable and ask you about your sex life, right? Let's say I were to ask you, like, hey, are you remaining pure and chaste? Um, are you guarding your heart and your eyes? And to the married couples, if I were to sit down with them, I could ask them, are you regularly having sex? And are you... Uh, seeing the sex act not as a selfish thing, but as a serving and giving thing. I'm sure that to a certain extent it would make all of you uncomfortable. You know, some not more than others. But I would like to think that at least here at Cornerstone, with you guys trusting me, you would say, okay, this is an awkward conversation, but I trust that he's being a good pastor because sexuality is a really important part of anybody's life, and it is important to talk about. I trust that that would be the conclusion that you would come to. Now imagine if I walked into an office building or some, some like non-Christian friend and I was like, hey, are you remaining pure and chaste? Like, how often are you having sex with your wife? Like, it would be taken very differently, right? It'd be like, dude, like, mind your business. Like, do you have any social filters at all? And it would be taken with um, probably offensively, right? So let's move into the topic of money. If I were to ask a coworker um, or somebody that I train at the gym, a non-Christian, and be like, hey, where are you giving your money? How much is your salary? Uh, how much was that jacket you bought? How, co- how much do you actually give to the poor? Do you ever give your money away? Like, that, that could possibly be one of the most offensive things I could say to somebody, right? How much do you make? Can I actually see that? Like, let me see a pay stub. How, what percentage of this do you give away? The Worldly, that, Sanders, that would be horribly offensive and, like, you know, untact, like, I would have no tact, like, whatever. They, they, they would be very wrong. Now, imagine if I said that to one of you in the church. 
hey, how much do you make? How much do you tithe? When was the last time you donated to somebody who was starving? I think that equally we would be offended, equally we would say that is out of bounds and you're breaking boundaries, and it wouldn't be the conclusion, oh, he's being a good pastor, it would be this guy has no social filters. I think we would be equally uncomfortable. This is the power that money has, I think, that it can, it can make you okay with following the world's standards. And I think that Jesus talked about it so much because he understood the grip, the grasp, and the power it can have on stealing our attention and treasuring money and the things that money can buy and provide for us over treasuring Jesus Christ as the entirety of everything that we need. You know, it's interesting because there are many of you who have told me, Pastor Danny, like I'm struggling with sex in this area, or can you actually keep me accountable and I'll show you my internet browsing history. But I don't think any of you would be comfortable with me looking at your bank statement and your credit card statements. That would be horribly, horribly uncomfortable. This is why I believe that Jesus talked about money so much. And my uh, goal, my objective today is to open up Scripture, see what it says to us. Again, look at this topic of what especially Jesus talked about. And hopefully that together we can collectively fight the flesh, fight the enemy, fight the culture, and just have listening ears to the word of our Savior who we know is, is for our good, for our best interest in mind, and that we would leave with this desire, this hungering to treasure Christ above all things that this world could possibly provide. So we're going to open up our Bibles to Matthew 6. So if you have your Bible, you can open there, or you can read along with me on the screen. But we're going to be reading Matthew 6, verses 19 through 24. Matthew 6, 19 through 24. Matthew writes, Do not lay up for yourself... This is, the, this is Jesus speaking, so if you're reading in your Bible, it would be read. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy... Your whole body will be full of light, but if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Go to the next one. I think this may have gone on me. Okay. So, this is the passage. Um, Let's start on verses 19 through 21. And reading that really, again, quickly, or paraphrasing, Jesus is saying, don't store treasures on earth where it's transient, where it's going to fall apart, it's going to rust, someone can steal it from you. It's not permanent, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where it is permanent, where it is eternal, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I feel like this command in Scripture is one of those commands that is very easy to agree with, 
right? Like, who, it, it, like who would, would make a decision like, you know, this thing is going to be gone in one year, and this thing is going to last forever. Hmm, like, which one am I going to choose? It's pretty, like, common sense almost. Like, this is one of those biblical commands that it's like, yeah, we all, I'm sure, agree. But it's one of those common sense ones that we all agree, but for some reason it seems so difficult to follow, to obey. It seems like it would be so obvious that we wouldn't trust in something that a moth, an insect, could break through and destroy versus something that would last an eternity in heaven. And Jesus starts talking in verse 21, in the really famous verse, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Essentially saying, our hearts will be devoted to what we treasure. So he's saying, beware, treasure heavenly, eternal things, because your heart is going to be there right alongside with it. And here's, I, I think Jesus actually explains right after why it's an obvious command, but why it's so difficult to obey. He says, the, light of the, the eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light, but if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So basically what he's saying is that if you have a dark, which unhealthy eye, you will treasure earthly possessions, you will see earthly things, riches, clothes, fancy cars, wealth, celebrity, you know, uh, prestige, respect from, from co-workers and colleagues and, and the public eye, like all these earthly things. And if our eye is dark or unhealthy, this, this, the darkness represents that unhealth, we're going to treasure all those things. And on the flip side, if your eye is full of light, aka if it is healthy, then you will treasure eternal things. So it's not a matter of whether we agree about the commandment or whether it's easy or not, to, or, or yeah, whether it's easy to agree with. It's that our whole perspective messes up whether we can obey the commandment, which is, way, which is why it makes it so difficult to obey. If our eye is unhealthy, the moth-eaten and rusted and stolen things will seem like the greatest treasure in the world to us. So he's saying, beware, because it's your eye, it's your heart, uh, the present uh, state of your heart and how you see the world. Is the world look like treasure to you, and are you going to value that, or are eternal heavenly things? going to be that way. And he closes this paragraph and this passage by saying, no one can serve two masters. He will hate the one or love the other. Be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Now, this, this section, is, he does not say, uh, you know, this isn't talking about liking God and respecting biblical principles, enjoying Jesus on occasion. It's about serving, he says, the word master. It's the entirety of yourself. Is your life devoted to God or are you just respecting him once in a while? Because it just, he says there's that divide. It's either you fully are a servant devoted to Christ and to his kingdom or you're not. We will hate the one and love the other. And I want to loop this statement about serving. Is, it the, is Jesus your master? Is the world your master? With the same with in verse uh, 21. Is Jesus your treasure? Is the world your treasure? I think it's the same. If our treasure is cars and clothes and brand names and things and stuff, then it will always be hard for us to give away our money. It will always be hard to be living by a biblical model and standard rather than an earthly one. But if Jesus... If he is your greatest value in everything you could possibly want and or need, would our lives not reflect a generous abundance of giving? 
I've actually experienced this fierce battle more than anything in my life, actually, I think, in terms of my spirituality. And I know we've been talking about money a lot in this season of our church. Yes, this week, last week, and the week before, but even more than that. We've been going through the financial deficit. We created a resource development team. We've been giving announcements and seminars on money. We've been talking about it a lot. And I realize it's easy for a pastor who has the microphone and this little elevated stage thing to come and, you know, you need to do this and you need to do that. So I'm actually going to do something a little bit different today. Um, I'm going to share with you my money story. I want you to know with full transparency my life. You know, in the beginning of this, of this sermon, I, my introduction, I talked about how... Um, we're afraid of sharing about this kind of stuff. And I can easily say that, like, oh, you want to talk about sex, but you won't talk to me about money. And I'm, if, if, you know, as a pastor, I feel like it's my responsibility to not just tell you guys to do something, but to try my hardest to lead by example, although, you know, I fail along the way. So you guys are used to me kind of glancing at my notes and paraphrasing, paraphrasing here and there, but I'm actually going to read this word for word so that I can be careful with my words. Um, and I'm going to share with you my journey of my battle with greed, my battle with valuing earthly things and treasuring worldly things, having a dark and unhealthy eye, and how important this passage is for me and for my soul. And to make it a little bit more entertaining, there will be picture illustrations to go along with it. Um, but don't fall asleep, but I'm going to keep looking down. Growing up, I understood money as something that was really hard to come by, something that there was never enough of. Money was something that created fear in me because my parents taught me that we always had too little and I was constantly afraid that we would run out and something bad would happen to our family. My parents owned a dry cleaning business that needed a minimum of four to six people to manage, but they did it on their own because they couldn't afford to hire employees. They were working way too much and getting paid way too little. They worked six days a week from 7 a.m. to 8 p.m., and we had enough to live on, but always just enough to skirt by. I remember my parents sitting at the dining table with a calculator, crunching the numbers away, and always feeling this aura of intense stress. We almost never took family vacations, ate at restaurants, and and it was always an issue concerning money. This changed my perspective of money at a very young age that took form very quickly, and I'll give you two examples. Every kid at a piggy bank, right? Did you guys have a piggy bank? Yeah? I actually seriously used mine like a bank account starting in elementary school. I had a Tootsie Roll piggy bank. I also had a Mickey Mouse. This picture was taken on Thursday. It's at my parents' house. It's real. Um, Minnie was my sister's and Mickey was mine. The hole where you take the money is out under him and he has a little slit in his head. One was used for long-term savings, and one was used for goal-oriented savings. If I really wanted a new WWF wrestling action figure, that that would go into the Tootsie Roll, and my rainy day fund would go into Mickey Mouse. Most kids, when they got money for the holidays or their birthdays, would go out immediately and buy candy and toys, but I put them straight into my savings, Tootsie Roll, and Mickey Mouse savings accounts. A second example comes from my fear that my parents were always running out of money. On my birthday party in fifth grade, I remember my mom told me to order pizzas for my birthday. I had friends coming over, and she had her hands full preparing the house and cleaning up and told me to quickly order pizza and have them deliver it. 
So I get on the phone and ordered one large pizza and one small. I knew it was not enough, enough for all of us, but I was afraid that my parents couldn't afford the pizza and were just taking a hit for my birthday and I didn't want them to. My mom was shocked and embarrassed when it arrived and had to quickly order more. This is what shaped me, and I'm sure it isn't a surprise that because of my upbringing today, money is my biggest idol, my biggest stumbling block, and it comes in the form of the idol of security. I still feel like it's too hard to come by. We never have enough, and it's going to run out, and something bad is going to happen. This may just be for the gentlemen in the house, but... You guys know how it's like a joke and you like jab at each other when you're walking in the mall and you walk by Victoria's Secret? It's always like you need to look the other way or close your eyes or, hey, there's baby Gab, look over there, right? Like, (laughs) I don't have that issue at the mall. I have that issue with gas stations and convenience stores, seeing Mega Millions neon signs and scratch tickets that promise you you will live a life of riches free from the worry of financial security. So when I read this passage, it hits me very personally. I believe verse 21, when Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also, because I realize my heart is tempted to treasure security provided money, uh, provided from money, not from Jesus. And especially when Jesus says in verse 24, no one can serve two masters, you cannot serve God and money. I believe that because I realize that money will master me, even enslave me, if I do not live with the Lord as my master. I know that if I do not put the idol of money in a cage and lock it up, it will lock me up in a cage. I meditated on this and decided to make a permanent change in my life when I was in college. So pretty much at the age that many of you are right now. I prayed, God, if I don't create a plan for myself, I know that the idol of money will make me its slave. I want you to be the master of my entire life, so please help me build the discipline of Christ-honoring stewardship. That's where my journey of health began, and I'd like to think of it as the beginning of my sinner's rehab. I made the decision that no matter what, whenever I received any money of any form, I would give some of it away and that I would tithe to the church. I was working on campus at the gyms, um, the weight rooms, and basketball courts, making $8 an hour and tithing without fail every month. I know the excuse many students have is, we don't have real full-time jobs and we're on loans. But I want to challenge all of you who think that way that that is not an excuse that God accepts. I know that because I said the same exact thing and went through the same exact experience. God calls us to give different amounts in different seasons of life, but always to give out of a generous heart of stewardship of God's money, not our money. After graduating college, I entered into Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary, and there I realized that all the poor jokes that the pastors and seminary students talked about wasn't a stereotype. It was true. It was a time in my life where I felt the strongest pressure to count every penny, and the stress of money led me to fight with others, led me to overwork myself, and I even had a panic attack during my second year. That night, I woke up my roommate and had to keep him awake with me at 3 a.m. in the morning so that the panic attack and the noise would go away. But still I made the commitment to God and gave my tithe out of an on-campus job I had at Gordon-Conwell, managing our audio products in our online store. Fast forward to today, Linji and I are married. She works at a dental lab. I have a job here at Cornerstone and also work part-time at CrossFit on the Hill. And even though we have joined our lives together, these principles have not changed. In fact, they've only grown deeper. Not only have we committed to tithing no matter what, 
It doesn't matter if we have an expensive month because we went to a lot of weddings or lots of birthday parties or if our car breaks down. We tithe no matter what. If you don't believe me, the offering counters can open the spreadsheet and show you. We also, during our years of dating, committed to a separate additional offering. Every month on top of our 10%, we give an additional offering to different causes. This is money that we cannot touch, money that does not go into the church offering bucket, but goes to things like supporting charities, giving support to friends who go on missions, supporting people who are in rough financial situations, feeding the hungry, etc. Because of this separate fund, we were able to support college students to go on the college retreat this past semester at Cornerstone. We supported a couple friends who did 5Ks and 10Ks for cancer research. We supported one of my friends who went to, one of my best friends to college who went to missions on Cambodia. When we started this, I was in seminary and it started at $20 a month in 2010. And that's all we could afford and we were glad to give it. That's all we needed, 20 bucks. Right now, at 2015, it's at $125 a month. And I know it's not that much, $125, but it's what we can afford in our budget and we're happy to give it and our commitment is for that number to grow as long as we have money or until we die. One of the greatest freedoms and blessings has been in giving for me and Unji. Just like any other married couple, we have fought about everything under the sun. We fought about the way we talk to each other. We fought about what movie to watch on date night. We fought about groceries. I'm sure, and like the pettiest things, ask any married couple, but we have never once fought about giving to the church and giving to the poor. This makes me so glad that my wife is a woman who also, like me, struggles with money issues in her own ways, but who is uncompromising in her willingness to give to the church and give to the needy. The other night, we laughed that if we didn't tithe, it would be so easy to pay off school loans, travel the world, pay off our mortgage faster. I could easily drive a BMW and park it out there, but these things are meaningless to us if it does not mean giving back to the Lord who provided this money to us in the first place. When we look at it, we never question it because it isn't a matter of what we're missing out on. It is absolutely 100% gaining. Screw new fancy clothes and video game systems and fast cars because the question that I ask myself is, Danny, would you rather get a new PlayStation 4 or would you rather contribute to the mission of God? Do we really want to live lives that are close-fisted to God and to people who are suffering, yet completely open and lavish on ourselves? Isn't it a no-brainer? Is a plastic gaming machine that is going to be obsolete in two years a better thing for me to value than the eternal, never-ending kingdom of God? Are finite materials here on earth that moths can chew through more valuable to me than storing up eternal treasures in heaven? Are these things going to make me have more joy than knowing that I'm contributing to young children being fed, being given an education, for clean water in communities that have none, for women and little girls being delivered from human trafficking, and for a church in Boston to have a ministry that is vibrant, serving the young college students and young working professionals who come to Cornerstone? We're not missing out on anything. We're gaining The world and even Christians who struggle with greed Think of us as losing a chunk of our salary every month, but on the contrary, I think we have more than them as we try to be generous as we can. Because we're laying up treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. We need to understand that treating your, 
Treating yourself and buying new things for yourself is not mutually exclusive with being generous to God. This past month, Unji bought me two new shirts at the Assembly Row outlets. It's not about buying things that is evil. It's about the heart and the priority. What comes first, giving to God or giving to ourselves? In my life, every time I've doubted God as my security, he's shown me how much he's really given and that calling him provider is not cliche but absolute truth. Every time I've trusted in the security of money more than the security of Jesus, I haven't gained a thing. But every time I've tried honestly and hard to be generous, I found time and time again I have gained so much. Through this journey of mine, Psalm 4-7 has become one of my favorite verses. The psalm writes, You have put more joy in my heart than they when their grain and wine abound. This past summer, this isn't in my thing, this past summer I actually uh, spoke at a, at a youth retreat and the, I was sitting with a small group of, of this little like, I think they were like 8th grade girls. And they were like, oh, Pastor Dane, what's your favorite verse? And I was like, oh, Psalm 4-7. Uh, and they opened up their Bibles and looked at it and they were like, what? Like, are you kidding? I'm like, no, I'm not kidding. You have put more joy in my heart than they when their grain and wine abound. From God we receive a joy that nothing in this world can compare to, and earthly riches fall horribly short to the riches that we have in Jesus. Jesus must be your treasure. Treasure the heavenly things. I do not want this sermon to be just about money handling and stewardship. I want this sermon to be about treasuring our master, Jesus Christ, which there bears the fruit of money handling and stewardship. Because if you become a professional money steward, your life will get maybe temporarily better in that area and then it'll fade away or it may not. But if your heart treasures Jesus, then the entirety of your life will change, not just your money, but everything else. As I try my best to lead by example as your pastor... I do not want a single person at Cornerstone, any one of you, to think, wow, look at the way Pastor Danny and his wife handles money. He's such a mature Christian. Because that, to me, is missing the mark of the example that I want to set as your pastor. I want, to, I want you to think, wow, the way Pastor Danny lives his life really shows that Jesus is, his, Jesus is his master and his treasure. Jesus is the king that he loves and serves. So let's ask ourselves that question right now. Is the stewardship of my money reflecting my life having Jesus as the ultimate treasure? Is the way that I'm using my money reflecting a heart that loves Jesus more than anything else? Some of you may feel guilty. Some of you may feel good about yourselves because you donate a lot. And many of you are somewhere in between. But we're not starting with looking at the monetary number as the foundation. It is the heart. Does your money reflect serving money or serving God? What does your bank account and credit card statement say about who your master is? You can only serve one master. Is it Jesus? What is your treasure? Because we know that our hearts will be right there with it. In closing, I'm going to stop talking about myself and start talking about other people who are sitting in this room who are living lives that reflect Jesus as my master. These people encourage me more than they know. Um, They challenge me more than they know. Um, I'm not going to name names because I have a policy that I don't name people unless I ask them. I didn't ask their their permission. 
But I want to show you a picture. This is Rwanda, and this is a new tap stand that was built there for a community that serves 250 people, again, in Rwanda. And if you'll notice, to the right of that guy's uh, hand that's on the spigot, um, there's a little barcode and white piece of paper. And if you zoom in, it says, Cornerstone Church of Boston, Faith, Hope, and Love. This tap stand in Rwanda, again, for a village of 250 people, was provided by six individuals that joined together here at Cornerstone and decided to make Jesus their master, not their money. And this is what happens when people store up treasures in heaven. That's there permanently. I'd like, you to, inv- I'd like to invite you to explore this with us. And my question is, how long, how long is the church going to be loud and exuberant and energetic and proud when it comes to our praise songs and our singing, yet be so fearful and silent with our wallets? How long are we going to be so proud with yeah, our attendance and our singing and our, and our community group sign-ups and our retreat participation and yet be silent with our wallets. I hope that it is time in which we build a culture that stops just saying Jesus spoke about money more than anything and started living lives that actually show that we believe that to be true. I want us to stop just saying that and start reflecting hearts that show that we believe that. Jesus spoke about money more than anything. So don't just be convicted, friends. As application, I want to ask you simply to go home today and ask yourself, is my financial life reflecting Jesus as my treasure and master? Ask it. Is my financial life... Whether you're on loans, whether you have a six-figure salary, whether you're somewhere in the middle, I don't care. Ask yourself, is my financial life reflecting Jesus as my heart's treasure and master? And then make an on-purpose decision to start the journey or do something about it. Like I said, mine started in my dorm room, making $8 an hour at the campus gym, swiping people in over and over and over again. And like I said, it is still today my biggest idol, and I still struggle. I'm still in process, as all of you guys are. And I know I'm still very, very far from the place that I need to be. We aren't going to figure this out in one Sunday and one sermon. But what we can do on one Sunday through one sermon is make an on-purpose decision. If you are not on this journey yet, go home and make an on-purpose decision to take one little baby step forward. And, if, and I know there are many of you who are already in the middle of this journey. Some of you are, have started a year ago, years ago, further than, than even close. I'm not even close, and you're way beyond. But even you and me, let's go home and make an on-purpose decision if we've taken eight steps to take the ninth. All of us taking a step forward. Go home, ask yourself, is my financial life reflecting Jesus as my ultimate treasure and my master? And regardless if you need to start the journey or if you're years into it, 
Let's make an on-purpose decision to take one step forward. Hear the, Lord, uh, the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Let's bow and pray together. God, you have put more joy in my heart than they have when their wine and their grain abound. You have given us far more than what rich celebrities and famous athletes, lottery winners, even compare. They have something so meaningless, something of such little value, something that is here today but will be gone tomorrow. You have given us something that is forever, something that is eternal, something that can never be lost, broken, stolen, destroyed. And so you have given us more joy than this world could ever provide. God, we confess that this command is easy to agree with, but so stinking hard to follow. I know it from my life because I hear the stupid lottery commercials on the radio and I want to drive straight to the supermarket and buy lottery tickets. And I'm sure my friends in this room all know it in their life from one way or another as well. We all know it. So we ask humbly that Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, that you would fill our eyes with light, with health, that we may look upon you and see you in your splendor, in your majesty, and that when we look upon the world, it would look horribly unattractive for what it really is. God, I really want Cornerstone for these people who we pray for and and love and do our best to serve to just stop talking about the fact that Jesus talked more about money than anything, but started living lives that really showed that. I pray that our co-workers would start thinking that we're psychotic for giving away portions of our money to homeless children. I pray that we would fight with and have arguments with financial managers who say that it is unwise to not invest in retirement, but, who say, but for us who think it's the most wise decision to give our money to building wells and, and water stands in Africa. I pray that the world would see every person in this room as horribly foolish and dumb with the way that they use their money because it is extravagant in their generosity. And overall, like I said, Lord, I don't want this sermon to be about money handling. I want this sermon to be about our hearts being transformed. And so we pray that our hearts would long and desire and treasure you, 
And that not just our stewardship, but every facet of our being would grow, would become stronger, would become refined. And that we would be made holy before you, God. Because all we want to do is please you. So Holy Spirit, would you continue to go with us and even before us as we, go, as we close our service and go from here? We pray that we would go home and ask ourselves that question and reflect upon whether you are our master. And we pray that we would make on-purpose decisions to take a step forward. And with your help, we believe that we can do it. We cannot do it on our own. You know that because that's why you taught, warned us so much about money because you knew that we would be a stumbling block for us. But we know that with your help, we can overcome anything. So help us to do that and go with us as we just long to give you glory. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.